You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> I'm excited about today's show because we have Nada back on the show, and Nada is not only a friend of the show, but he is a family member of the podcast. And usually what happens when we bring Nada into the meeting, whether we are doing this live or whether we're doing this via Zoom, we usually have a show that precedes the show you hear in which we get on the mics and actually record. And the reason I like having Nada on to talk about things is one, he informs me of extremely important stuff like Pusha T's kid having the middle name of Brick. And also he allows us to talk about PJ Washington now having an Instagram model girlfriend where I feel like, guys, that's the biggest tabloid story that we've had with the Charlotte Hornets of like the past decade. And it's not even that big. But what do you make of the tabloid story that we've got with the Charlotte Hornets organization? I feel like that's the first one that I can remember in a long time where it's the gossipy story. It's actually some real stardom here that most NBA stars usually get in other markets. Uh, no, wait, hold on, hold on. I didn't know that PJ Washington was dating a Instagram model. Yes, I, yes, Brittany Renner is her name, apparently, and uh, 5 wait, million wait. followers on Instagram. So we've got a little bit of a tabloid story here. Wow, hold on. That Brittany, ooh, this is interesting. So apparently <laughs> he's been dating her, because I just had to look this up right quick. He's been dating her since, like, Freshman year of Kentucky. Good job, BJ. Good Uh, job. (laughs) Yes, I knew that I would get that reaction from Nada, and that's why I welcomed him to the show as such. Uh, Doug, do you have any commentary whatsoever on Pusha T's kids, middle name being Brick, or PJ Washington's confirmed Instagram relationship with Brittany Renner? Makes me wonder if Pusha is a big fan of Ben Folds 5. Maybe it's a sneak (laughs) reference. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you. (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, at Walker Mail, at Doug Branson, LOH, and at Nada the Scribe. Nada, this is the second time that we've had you on in the last couple of weeks. We did not really catch up with you a whole lot. There were more serious matters to tend to then to get the ball rolling on the subject. We will continue those those conversations as we continue to bring you on here. But just overall, what have you been up to? It's been a long time since we've had you on the podcast. You're a busy man doing other things. Well, it's funny. I wasn't that busy for a good portion of this bomb for a decent portion of this entire quarantine and stay at home, I wasn't that busy. So it's, it's our like, fault is what you're saying. It's our fault for not reaching out <laughs> Technically, <vaccine. laughs> yes. Technically, it is your fault because I was enjoying just being oh. a loving boyfriend. I was enjoying just editing here and there and doing a couple of things and doing my own little thing with um, Charlotte Newsmakers for a little bit. And then everybody started realizing, hey, we've got to get this economy jump started. Why don't we call Nada? Now, I'm not going to be like that arrogant to where I would say I'm the reason the economy is jump starting. But you know what? You're welcome. <laughs> um, but more importantly, like I, uh, Martin Rickman of um, Dime called me literally last weekend with the entire Kyrie Irving thing. And he 
asked me my thoughts and I said, Kyrie might have a point. He's like, okay, why don't you write a thousand words about it and we'll pay you. So I'm starting to do that a little bit more, which again, articles out on Don, Kyrie's right, but it's complicated is my unofficial title for this thing. And outside of that, I'm just doing a couple of things. I'm actually getting back into teaching, which is kind of interesting because I'm teaching people how to podcast, something that I used to do with you frequently, Walker, something I used to do with you frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, that's excellent stuff. I was going to say, I wanted to get to know what you were teaching a little bit more so, but excellent stuff. Again, make sure you follow Nada on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. And so can you give us a little bit of a preview? I don't want you to give us the whole thing into the Kyrie Irving discussion, uh, discussion, but if I were to ask you to give a synopsis so people would go check it out, what would that synopsis look like? Basically, Kyrie's right, but it's complicated because... And also, the thing is, we focused on his voice, his words, and not nearly enough on the concerns of others who have very, very legitimate points. Well, Avery Bradley being that guy, right? Like Avery Bradley comes out here with a crazy detailed plan exactly on what it means to change, like hiring more black people in the front offices of these NBA organizations because the people in the front office have the power in all of this. And Avery Bradley is a guy that is absolutely worth paying attention to. And I think where we get a little bit... Uh, a, a little bit confused, or maybe not even confused is the word, or maybe we don't give the credibility to Kyrie. It's because of his past messages and we can't get past the flat earth theory, right? And so, uh, Nada, what would you say to the people that maybe don't listen to Kyrie anymore because of the way that his messages have come across in the past? Like, I don't think it's fair because I think we're also judging him at on the flat earth stuff and a lot of his comments before as being a young, dumb 20-something-year-old. And the thing is, when I was his age, I was saying stupid stuff. I say stupid stuff now. (laughs) Honestly, it's one of those things where I'm one of those guys that's like, okay, let him grow into this. And he was doing something that was very, very presidential. Again, if he's a vice president of a union and he's got his constituents that have legitimate concerns and everything else. And he does not bring them up. He's useless. He's functionally useless as a VP. So you have to have those kind of things where, again, Avery Bradley comes in and says, hey, I have a concern. Let's do something. Let's make an actionable plan in terms of hiring more black folks. Because if we're really honest, the idea of um, black folks in front offices is very, very, again, there's not very many. There's very, very few, in fact. And unfortunately, because we're having those issues right now, I'm not one of those that's going to say Avery Bradley doesn't have a point. Kyrie doesn't have a point. If Kyrie Irving's sole purpose is to be a Trojan horse, then why don't we just let him be that Trojan horse and let the really good ideas start trickling in through the union? I think we're downplaying being functionally useless. I've made a career being functionally useless. (laughs) <laughs> it's very well, well, Doug, Doug, Doug. Normally, I would allow the se- self deprecation. Today is a happy day. <laughs> self deprecation? No, no, no. What are you talking about? <laughs> I've been able to make a lot of money doing nothing. Well, again, this is also true, but again, but my dream. Kyrie Irving, well, again, that, that's most people's dream is to be useless and paid very, very well. But at the same time, like, to sit back and let Walker do all the work. Well, yeah, there is that too. Um, but more importantly, when we start talking about when we start talking about what basically Kyrie's 
function as a union leader is. This is exactly it. Now, starting your own league, everything else like that, I can't go that far. Yeah. And apparently, that's not even true. So, but if we're talking about what your the function of a union VP is, he's pretty much doing it. So I'm interested in you guys actually thinking if this whole process gets derailed or not because of the way that it's not actually it's not actually been all positive feelings. Once this got real, like once the NBA restart plan got very real where we're only, you know, we're not even two months out anymore. We're talking about July 31st when everybody is going to go to Orlando and then the players start to look at all of the policies they have to abide by. And they think, well, you know, that's not very fun. It's not like I want to go down there in complete isolation, except for my, uh, with hanging out with, and except for uh, when I hang out with my teammates and actually play basketball. And I think we even heard Terry Rogier talk about this a little bit in his exit interview. Is there any real possibility of this restart getting derailed? Are there going to be just minor adjustments? What do you think about all of the discussion now where it's not so positive like it used to be maybe a couple of weeks ago? The, this plan is a wish. Can we be really honest about that? Like this plan is kind of a wish. We're talking about, one, the fact that the league is trying to do three different hotels, which they all leaked to Shams, by the way. Like, all Shams leaked the entire, entire PDF. And if you're going to start leaking the entire PDF, then, yo, you know what? What's it work? How does this work in terms of security? Because you cannot operate covering this like this is a normal time where we don't have COVID-19 Oh, and Florida happens to be COVID central right now. None of this makes sense. The fact that they're putting three different hotels, three different control systems, something's going to gum up the works because life is normally like that. So when you start doing so, when that, something like that goes down, I, I like I'm expecting a significant derail because I'm expecting someone to catch it and them not to catch and basically because it's a disease, it's going to be one of those slow acting things where we find out five, six, seven, eight players on a team have caught it. And then some of the, some of the coaching staff, and it may derail the entire playoffs. Cause I don't believe they have a contingency plan for this. Yeah. If you look into the details of this uh, hundred page uh, PDF, you see that these players are going to be tested a lot. And uh, the, the personnel that is with the team, they're going to be wearing uh, armbands or or some kind of technological device that tells them if they've spent longer than five seconds uh, within six feet of somebody. I mean, this is real like crazy dystopian kind of stuff that the NBA mm-hmm. feels like they have to implement because this situation is so fluid, it is so chaotic, and it's so unprecedented. And they've got to find ways to mitigate all of the risk. Uh, but to Nada's point, it's going to be interesting because if someone does have it, uh, there is a delay time. I believe uh, there was a recent news story about the Nuggets coach, uh, Mike Malone, got coronavirus back in March and, and didn't know about it for many, many weeks afterwards uh, and only displayed mild symptoms. I, I, to me, you know, the, the danger is not in discovering that someone has COVID. And, and when I say danger, I mean danger to the sort of structure of all of this, of all of it falling apart. If someone gets coronavirus, they have now... Um, they've got a way to quarantine them and they've got procedures and policies in place. What, what I think is the real danger is if one of these players legitimately gets sick, 
with with this disease and has to be hospitalized then the fear fact i don't think the fear factor is in someone being diagnosed with it and, and testing positive the the fear factor is in someone actually getting sick uh that that i think is is a real danger because so much of this as nada said um is is unknown and and they're all trying to do everything they can to mitigate but it doesn't guarantee anything there are no guarantees so you guys don't think the NBA's anonymous hotline is going to be enough to police all of this then? You think that's not something good enough to legislate it? Wait, you mean the CP3 line? <laughs> I do. I do mean the CP3 line. Uh, that was excellent. I saw a bunch of people running with that joke, but it is so true that CP3 would be the guy uh, to be the first to call. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or an account login. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. And you can go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. You can write locked on in their how do you hear how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. It's at rockauto.com. We heard some more comments from Mitch Kupchak. We'll talk about his comments on Malik Monk next. It's the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to yeah, be back. Great to be back on the show. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the host, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Again, that's LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Uh, I teased it heading into the break. I wanted to get to Mitch Kupchak's comments on Malik Monk. Doug, I don't know if you have the direct quote from Mitch Kupchak, but what did he have to say today about the third-year player out of uh, Kentucky that they drafted in the first round with such high expectations once upon a time? Yeah, he joined the Mac attack on WFNZ this morning. And um, yeah, he said essentially when asked about Malik Monk, he said that he's a fan of Malik Monk. And he called him one of the most talented players on the roster. And probably the most interesting thing he said since the exit interview when he said that Malik Monk has been reinstated, uh, he said that Malik Monk has a second chance. Those were the words, second chance. So if you were looking for some kind of 
confirmation or or some kind of signal as to what the organization or how the organization views Malik Monk post reinstatement. Uh, that's the most clearest sign uh, we have gotten yet. Um, and and it just seems like it's it's now on Malik Monk uh, to to follow through on that. Well, what is that clear message to you, Doug? Because I, I think that it could be a little bit misconstrued in some ways, that second chance mantra that he gave Malik Monk. Is it something that he's saying it is all on Malik Monk and the fact that we can't do anything with you, so we're just going to have to be stuck with you? Or do you truly think that Mitch Kupchak is a fan of Malik, that he is talented, and we're giving him a second chance, not because we have to, but because we really want you, we value your, ta- your talent so much? Like, what, how, how is it clear to you? Oh, well, I mean, I think just there's a clarity in the idea that there is a second chance. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, I think it's probably both. I mean, I, I don't think I'm not I don't think that Mitch Kupchak doesn't think that Malik Monk is a talented player. I mean, just look at how he was playing in those final games before he was suspended. I mean, he was playing really, really well and and looking like or at least a version of the player just offensively that people thought he could be without the, you know, jump shot from, from beyond the arc. Uh, but at the same time, they really can't do anything with him. He is signed. Uh, they, they did uh, pick up his option and, and I don't see there being a, a ton of demand for him on the market. And so it, it, it's probably a little bit of both. To me, this is a guy that did change kind of throughout the season as far as how the way that he changed the way he played, right? Like there was a fundamental change in the way he played. There were some times in the middle of the season that he went back to the bench, but then you talked about those last games. I mean, we can go to the last month, last month and a half where he was playing very well. I thought his defense improved. I thought he was attacking the basket. We've done this before. And when Mitch Kupchak says in his exit interview that this is a team that needs talent. I don't care at what position. We're not in the business of deciding, okay, we'll take talent at this position because we already have talent here. No, it doesn't matter if you have four really good shooting guards and you need a, and you need a, a, a talented big guy. No, you take the most talented player in the draft, even if he does play shooting guard, because you just need really good talent in the first place. And if Malik is the most talented guy or one of them, which I would agree, I mean, he hadn't put it together, uh, uh, admittedly, but I do think he is one of the most talented guys. And so I think he's the guy worth holding on to. Nada, what did you make of Mitch Kupchak's comments? Maybe in the, um, well, I guess it would just be earlier today, not the exit interview because he only told us he was reinstated. But what do you make of Mitch Kupchak's comments on Malik and just your overall outlook of what he could be this season and his future as a Hornet? The thing is, and Doug hit on it, Malik was probably one of the top five Hornets when he was at his best. And I would even go far as say top three, because the biggest thing that he learned and with the added bulk and everything else like that was that he started going to the rim more and people couldn't stay in front of him. And he was one of those guys that you knew if he could get to the rim, something good was probably going to happen there. Now, the problem becomes where and this is where I kind of disagree with Doug. I think you could move Malik Monk. He's only making five million dollars next year. And a cheap guy that you're picking up who's going to get a second chance somewhere, who could get a second chance, needs to change the scenery, what have you. I think you can move them. I think you can move them for probably more than you think because people are, are so cash strapped and they're going to need to add talent fairly cheaply. So I don't necessarily think he's a lock for this roster. Now, on that, that being said, 
I think it's kind of foolish to get rid of him early right now. If he doesn't show you anything and again, he's got one more option that you don't necessarily have to pick up for 7 million in the following season. You decline that option and it's the Malik Monk era is basically over and you can cut him if he does anything bad again. So I think there's like nothing to lose on this. And to be quite honest, a second chance is probably like, I wouldn't even call this the second chance. I would call this this his last chance because if he doesn't show and prove, who's going to pick him up? He could be similar to what happened to Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, I thought of this. We talked about this on the wake-up call today. Like, if I had to choose, if you were to force me on how many more years he plays with the Hornets, I think I might choose this is his last year. You know, I I love Malik. I just think this is a, a I mean, you guys know my stance on Malik. I think he has a lot of talent and I, I believe in him and I believed in him the last month when he was playing well. And it was unfortunate when he got suspended. Admittedly, has not lived up to expectations. But even imagine if they draft a Devin Vassell or a Killian Hayes last to them wherever they are choosing in the NBA draft. And then they just get another guy to put in the backcourt. At that point, you're talking about Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, Devin Vassell or Killian Hayes or whatever guy you might be drafting to go put in the backcourt. Cody Martin has been somebody that emerged. Even Kayla Martin has been somebody that has that position for versatility. So even if I think they should hang on to talent as much as they possibly can, are you going to continue to hang on to the guy that's played for you for four years that maybe is talented, but just hasn't put it together. And then after four years, that's a long enough time. Like even for me, admittedly, it's a long enough time to where if you wanted to move on from him and he just hadn't put it together, like that would be really hard to argue against. And so look, you, you might think that Malik Monk is going to come back in here and just light it up on fire. And that would be great. I would love to see it. But if I had to choose, I, I would think this is his last year with the Hornets. And that makes me sad. That's hard to admit. That makes me sad. I mean, there was promise to him. There was a lot of promise and we were all stunned. He dropped to 11 and for multiple reasons, most of them upstairs in his head, he has not delivered. And unfortunately, he's a guy that we're always going to wonder what if. What if there was a proper G League system in place? Would he have been more accepting of being a guy that goes down there and has a proper uh, has a proper G League experience? And are we talking about him as this G League success story and not a Dwayne Bacon or not a Devontae Graham? A lot of it, it's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of what ifs with Malik Monk for me. And a lot of them are just going to be what if he was just in a more supportive system with a coach that actually wanted him and not Donovan Mitchell instead. It's not going to be impossible for Malik Monk to turn this story around. Uh, do I think it's going to happen with the Hornets? I'm I'm with Walker in that I'm not sure that it's going to happen with this organization, but it can begin here. And, and it starts with uh, what Mitch Kupchak called a different approach to life and the game. And I think that's where it has to start with Malik Monk. But this is probably a two or three year uh, rebuild for his in, entire career. And it's similar to the situation that Jeremy Lamb found himself in when he first uh, landed in Charlotte. He had to rethink the way he approached eating, the way he approached life, the way he approached his commitment to playing basketball. Uh, all of those factors. Look, it's, it's sometimes it's not good enough to just be really talented. You have to you have to put all of the things together. It's it's a little bit what Michael Jordan was telling these guys on the Zoom, which is you know there is a price to pay to win. You have to sacrifice certain things in order 
to have that kind of NBA success. And so we'll see uh, this season and in the years that follow if Malik Monk is willing to sacrifice some things in order to have a, a long uh, and fruitful NBA career. Yeah, you have used that Jeremy Lamb example quite a bit, and I don't think it's ever been wrong. I actually I like that one where it might be the growth to a different team, right? It might have to happen with a different team, but it, it means that he has to take care of himself like Jeremy Lamb constantly told us about. And if he's going to take care of himself, a great way to do that is by eating Built Bar. It's the best tasting bar world. The best ever. Uh, it's real chocolate. It has amazing flavors, kind of tastes like a candy bar. It has great texture and it has an amazing combination of low calorie, high protein and low sugar. There's also no crazy additives. If you compare it to the most popular men's bar out there, it's half the calories, seven times the fewer carbs and seven times the fewer sugar grams. Also, there's more protein. How can it be that good for you and taste that good? You're just going to have to try it for yourself. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off your first box at www.BuiltBar.com. Again, that's locked on. I don't care if you space it. I don't care if you mush it all into one word. You can do it either way. And then you can get $10 off of your first box at, at, uh, at www.BuiltBar.com. I want to talk a little bit more about the other takeaways that we had from the player exit interviews with Nada next on the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. And the Google description here says on contracts made before June, where the wheat is deliverable in December, either wheat of the grades named or numbered, <laughs> B shares Batik of New York, N.B.A. So take that for what you will. It's a lot of information I just threw at you. I apologize. What was the grade? The, yeah, the wheat was graded uh, C minus. Let's get them on. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Bobby Marks wrote something for ESPN that discussed what all of the teams that were eliminated Orlando, what they needed to do this offseason. Of course, that includes the Charlotte Hornets. And among the things he mentioned were, of course, what guys are going to be the pillars of your organization? What does it mean? Oh, what do you do for Malik Monk? What do you do? What do you do with PJ Washington, Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges might be a guy that um, is kind of polarizing among Hornets fans right now and what you think about him. I think we all agree that Nick Batum is not going to be a part of the future with this organization. But I thought that was one of the biggest takeaways in what Bobby Marks wrote about. He mentioned that Nick Batum might be a guy that you try to turn into future assets, which on the surface is crazy. But then you think about just because of what we have become accustomed to when trying to evaluate that $26 million a year contract that they inked him to a couple of years ago. But now it's an expiring contract and it's still a lot of money. But Bobby Mark saying, turn Nick Batum into future assets. Do you guys think that's possible? Or, or do you think that Nick Batum is just most likely going to stick it out for the entirety of his contract here in Charlotte, where he does seem to be happy. And I can't imagine, as Rick mentioned earlier this week, that he would agree to a buyout and take less guaranteed money. Can you turn that expiring contract into future assets? I mean, you could, but why would you? Because you got to, we do not know the financials of what the NBA is going to look like next year. So by the time the season goes around and we get into this off season, we may be looking at a 90, $100 million, $100 million cap situation. So at that point, he's better off on your books, probably sitting and waiting for the next situation, for 
every between his contract and Cody Zeller's contract to come up off the books, you might be better off just sitting, waiting that out. And then, because again, we really do not know what the financials are going to be going into next season. So I get it, but it'd have to be for like literally the right deal. And I mean, when I say right deal, I mean, you're probably talking about a lightly protected first from a lottery team. Oh, I, I, I'm going to agree with my sweet baby Bobby here. You you take what you can get with this Nick Batum contract. If you can pull any good out of it, uh, and if that means taking back a bad contract to get a first-round pick, uh, then you do that because I think this is, um, despite, our, uh, again, going back to Mick, Mitch Kupchak's comments this morning, he, he was hopeful that next year they could put, he didn't think it was, he didn't think it was likely, but he said it was hopeful that, you know, they could put a playoff team together in the, in the next year. Uh, I don't see that happening. I mean, I, I think this is a multi-year thing and I think you can spend a year taking back some bad, uh, bad actual player assets in order to acquire some contracts. And if you can use Nick Batum's expiring deal to do so, then I think you do it. And I'll say this too, Nick Batum uh, still has skills. I mean, he still has valuable skills and uh, he can make other players better. He looks like he stayed in shape. Uh, so I think you could convince a team uh, that would need his specific set of skills uh, to take an expiring deal where they're they're not going to be leveraged. They're not going to risk giving him another bad deal. And, and you know, it, it will be all on Nick Batum at that point to perform well. Uh, I think you could, you could even uh, have a team that was competing for a playoff spot next year, um, you know, around the trade deadline be interested in taking someone like Nick Batum back and being able to free up some money for the next. By the way, this free agency yeah. period is not going to be great. The next one is going to be super great, and people are going to be vying for Giannis, and so there are going to, be, going to be opportunities come this trade, this next trade deadline that are going to be way better than the Hornets would have had la- this past season. It's funny. You were meandering, and then you got exactly to my point Oof. at the end there. You were, you were looking at that. It was like a right I, at the finish line. You know, It was like, by a nose, I got to a point. Sometimes yeah, that happens. I mean, I saw the light bulb. I uh, saw the light bulb go off, and it was exactly the point that I wanted to make. Trying to think of a team, and I had not done the research, and and uh, that should honestly be shamefully the comment, the uh, the motto of this podcast. Without having done the research, I was trying to think of a team that might maybe be interested in getting Nick Batum's contract and then shedding it in order to get involved in free agency when all the big boys hit the market. Like that's something that might be attractive for one of those other teams to do where you could use Nick Batum. I don't think he is completely unplayable on a team like the Hornets. He probably is just because you don't really care. All you want to do is put Jalen McDaniels out there. What you want to do is put the Martin twins that the Hornets could take. Uh, Nada, let's get to your biggest takeaways that you got from some of these exit interviews. I know we talked with Rick and uh, we talked with David Walker about this. What was something that stood out to you, whether it be from Dwayne Bacon, Terry Rozier, we talked about, um, whether it be Devontae Graham discussing Michael Jordan? Does anything come to your mind when I ask you about the biggest takeaway from the player exit interviews? Dwayne Bacon basically blaming everybody else but himself for his struggles <laughs> is probably the biggest thing I came away with and saying he needs to go somewhere else. And I think I have the biggest issue with this is because we forget that at this point last year, we were talking a lot about Dwayne Bacon and the steps he had taken to move forward and how he was probably, if not number one on the player players we were most excited about seeing, he was easily top three. 
again, he got his spot taken up by Malik Monk, by Devontae Graham, Cody Martin, Caleb Martin. Am I missing anybody else? Even Jalen McDaniels was getting more time than Dwayne Bacon. So yeah, I, I remember when James Borrego talked about Dwayne Bacon when they called him back up from the G League. So remember, right? He gets sent back down as a third-year player that was supposed to take this big role. And then he plays, he averages 31 points that he reminds us of, with which I thought was funny. Like he reminded us that he averaged 30 points in his G League second stint down there in the third year. So then he comes back up. And I remember Borrego being asked about if Dwayne was going to get any run once he was called back up. And Borrego essentially saying, no, he's kind of here for emergency. Like this isn't going to be a guy that's taking minutes away from McDaniels or the Martin twins or any of the other young guys that are getting run. And boom, that was telling right there. Like as soon as we heard that from Borrego, as soon as he did not get back into the mix... I think it was pretty clear what was going to happen with Dwayne. And even Dwayne could see the writing on the wall where yeah, he's gone, man. Like Dwayne told you that he's gone. I, I, I did think that was interesting to kind of get that confirmation from Dwayne Bacon at the end of the season. The thing that I, I, I kind of bugged me about that is, Dwayne, you've had what, maybe a, again, 10, 15 games we're talking about in a three-year span for the Charlotte Hornets. What kind of market do you think you've developed here? That's the question I would ask him, quite honestly. Like, what kind of market do you think you developed? Well, if he's, yeah, I mean, he seemed pretty confident that there were teams out there that were speaking to him before the pandemic and the restart hit. And I, he just acted like he was going to continue to talk to those teams afterwards. So I don't know who those teams are. Yeah, big three teams or what? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to be. Uh, real quickly, because we've talked so much about kind of the same exit interviews, I did want to mention one other thing that I think reflects how well the Hornets have done in this transition of trying to develop talent. I thought Jalen McDaniels had a good player exit interview. You know, listening to him talk about Nick Friedman, the NBA to G League confidant that accompanies the players. You know, Jalen McDaniels said that Nick Friedman was like a brother to him and how much he was important to his development, working on his game and becoming more comfortable uh, going up to the NBA. And I think Devontae Graham had some comments about those young guys as well, where Devontae discussed the improvement of Cody Martin, Caleb Martin, and Devontae Graham. Doug, we agreed on this. I remember us kind of having the same opinion about Cody, where the dude was scared with the basketball in his hands. Like at the beginning of the season, when he was thrust into a position to play, he didn't want to shoot. There were open shots. He just did not want to shoot. He seemed like a guy that was very uncomfortable with the basketball. That changed. And that absolutely changed. He had no problem taking those shots from deep. He had no problems driving towards the basket and facilitating. And then Devontae said the same thing about Jalen McDaniels. Once he got called up from the G League, that dude was knocking down shots from deep. Like That's impressive to me. And I do think it goes to show you the importance of the G League system that Nada alluded to earlier in regards to maybe how Malik Monk didn't get to experience that. But also it goes to show you James Borrego telling us that this is what he was going to do. This is a way that a small market team gets better. And at least right now, like maybe we have another Dwayne Bacon situation with these other second rounders. But at least right now, like you have to feel pretty good about the trajectory of the second round picks that Mitch Kupchak has chosen. Yeah, I mean, an organization is a reflection of the major personnel. And with the addition of Borrego and Kupchak and Friedman, now that we have a two-year sample size, we can see that the Hornets are starting to reflect 
attitudes like patience, like being methodical, being detail-oriented. That's one thing we heard with Nick Freeman from the players that he's teaching, not just from the people that hired Friedman. You'd expect them to shower praise on him, but from the players that he's working with, people have said, Friedman helps me become a better player, okay? And so you should be, as a fan of the team, that should ring different you know, those words, patience, mm. analytical, detail-oriented, methodical, player development. The, these words should ring different uh, than years past, Bobcats years past and early Hornets years past. So, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Dada, but I, I'm totally positive about the direction that this franchise is heading in, even though I don't think they're going to make the playoffs next year. I, I don't know how you're not excited. This team had a plan. Like, when have you seen this team have a plan, stick to the plan, and by the way, in the midst of that plan, be better than expected in this plan? They've been competitive. I I am one of those that's just like, I am very, very happy with the way this has gone. I am very, very surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they took a step back, but at the same time, this is all going along to a plan, and that's this is the first time we could say the plan has been okay, we are going to intentionally develop these kids and not throw them to the wolves. And it's a very, 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 very much a fresh breath of fresh air. And I cannot wait to see what goes on next season. We always appreciate Nada for joining us here on the podcast. Make sure you're checking him out on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. He's going to be putting up some good NBA content for you as a part of Dime. That wraps up this edition of Locked on Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked on NBA, Hollinger and Duncan, all the other shows a part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Have a great day. We'll see you Friday. David Walker is going to join us once again. Mm-hmm.